Thank you to our sponsors, M&D Drilling out of Waller, Texas. Thank you to Kyle Golding for allowing us to be in his beautiful podcast studio at the Triple B and OKC. Thank you, Marty Lynch, for the intro and outro song for Defining Moments podcast. Today's episode was awesome. I had the honor and the privilege to sit across the table from Chief Tarver, OEPD. Just his story from becoming the first black officer in Moore, Oklahoma, to dealing with the KKK, to making a change in lives of young men and women through his career, to now being an amazing, legendary chief of police and amazing human. It's been awesome. Stay tuned for this episode because it's one that you'll want to listen to. I'm going to stand. I won't be seated. Hold my head up high, stay undefeated. Defining moments on this part. Cause I'm American by the grace of my good God. It's so awesome to have you in the studio. We got connected through uh, Chief Gibson, Moore Police Department. That's, that's right. Chief Younger. Speaks highly of you. And then uh, Officer Chad Benson out of Norman PD speaks highly of you. So thank you for coming on to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Before we get started, we got some gifts for you. Some. I heard about the gifts. Yeah. This is awesome. On the bottom of that, you'll find a code to our, uh, Ah. when you enter that in, it's a lifetime discount to any swag that we have on our website. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yep. And this is a can opener. Oh, it's a big can. <laughs> or bottle, bottle, bottle opener. opener. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. And, and I understand about the rules. I left mine in the car. <laughs> so when we get when we finished, I will get okay. the challenge coin and yeah. give it to you if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. From being the first black police officer in Moore, Oklahoma, to dealing with KKK members, to Northmore Elementary and the D.A.R.E. program, we're going to just jump right into this before we do. How are you doing today, and how's the family? I am doing well. Um, I'm, family's doing well. I've got three grown daughters that they stay connected with me. And, uh, you know, once you have daughters, you, you never really lose them. You never, you know, they're always in your pocket. So yeah. that's just the way life works. And you know, when they call me, I light up because you'll find out soon. It's just, you know, <laughs> children are wonderful. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's, let's just jump right into it. More police department. What led up to that situation and you wanting to get into that? Well, th- that's interesting because I, I had no inclination about being a police officer or anything like that. I had never really thought about it. As I previously told you, I had finished my degree at the University of Oklahoma in broadcast journalism. And it was the opportunities were not coming my way. At one point, you figure you need a job, right? And... I wasn't, I was actually working at a bank at the time, but I needed to make more money. I had moved to Moore, which in and of itself was an interesting story, (laughs) trying to buy a house in Moore at the time. And I I didn't realize, you know, the pushback I was going to get just to try to live there. And after I had bought the house, I have utilities. So I went to pay my water bill uh, at City Hall and the police department right there connected to City Hall, and they, they had a sign said they were looking for police officers. You know, I never really thought about this. Maybe that'd be a good job. 
Let me see how much they pay. Yeah. Well, it was paying about two hundred and fifty more dollars per month than what I was making, and the salary at the time was eight hundred and twelve dollars a month. That was what they they were paying to police officers. That was a gross amount. Gross yeah. amount. Right. Right. Taxes. <laughs> so I said, why? Why not? I, so I applied, and I I had no idea that there were never any black employees for the city of War, and I didn't realize the environment that I was in. Mm. So that's just my naivety of life and of things. I was, what, 21, 22-year-old college graduate and just didn't know any better. Grew up in Tulsa, didn't have any issues with that. Uh, you know, just, uh, and, and had the university experience, which was, was pretty good. You know, mm. I struggled to get through college, like a lot of people, but lucky enough to get that degree. So yeah. I was ready to move on with life. Yeah. Yeah, so why were you getting pushed back to move into more anyways? Well, it's the same reason, you know, why they never had a black person there in Moore <laughs> is because they, um, they, there's a thing called steering. And so when you get with a realtor and they try to take you to areas that, you know, that different than what you want uh -huh. and or people don't want to sell their house to a black person gotcha. or, and so in the house I ended up buying, looking back on it now, I should never have bought the house because... Now I know that people will could and should repair things, and, yeah. and I bought bought a house that was in disrepair. But you know, you don't know what you don't know sometimes. But I did get the house. Mm -hmm. I moved there, and shortly thereafter, after applying with the police department, then I realized about the Klan that was Ku Klux Klan that was in the city of Moore. The Ku Klux Klan was in the city of Moore. The leader of the Klan was the lived in the Moore in Moore. <laughs> okay, so the leader of the KKK was in Moore, and then you got pushed back, you got steered, but you moved to Moore anyways. You went and just like, hey, there's a posting to join the police force. That's correct. So let's talk about that process. Okay. Then, then we'll lead into the... Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I applied, and it was interesting. I mean, later I learned, you know, there was a lot of uh, pushback about whether they should hire me. But there were a couple of people apparently that were there that were working saying, you know, this guy's intelligent. He's got a degree. He speaks the language. He has a clean background, so it appears. And so if we're going to take a chance on somebody, we might as well take a chance on him. Mm. So they did my background, couldn't find anything, physical, all that good stuff that you need to do to be a police officer. And so came to polygraph time. So I did, it actually made me take the polygraph like three times. And I, I was like, okay, well, we made you take it three times because you were just too clean. You know, <laughs> nobody, no one is that clean. And I said, well, what, what was I supposed to be doing, you know? The word, you never stole anything. You don't sell drugs. You don't. I said, no, I didn't do any of that stuff. So anyway, so they decided to, to hire me. And I had a... a an interview with the chief of police, he was a, a officer, a retired officer from Oklahoma City. And the only thing he really asked me, he said, he said, son, can you play basketball? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. I said, I actually played on my, my high school team. And he said, well, good. He said, well, you know, we played the fire department every year and they beat us and we need somebody that can help us. We beat the fire department. He said, so I'm expecting you to help. And I said, yes, sir. 
And then he said, well, I also want to tell you, he said, you know, we don't have any blacks around here, so it might be a little difficult for you, but I hope you, I hope you can, you know, you can get through this. So I said, okay, you know, and so I did. And they handed me my uniforms and my, all my equipment. And as I'm walking down the hall, hallway, one gentleman comes out of the office and he says, look, there's an in with a gun. <laughs> wow. And so several people come running what? out of the hallway. And what? I guess they were trying to see how I was going to react. And I, I just, you know, <laughs> just what? stood there kind of like, okay, now I think I kind of know what I've gotten myself into. Oh, man. So um, it, was, it was quite the experience. I learned a lot. And people ask me, well, why did you stay there? You know, yeah. why did you, you put up with it? Well, it wasn't intense beating you across the head with it every day. But mm. there were the little things that came up, and there certainly were people who had objections to me being there. And some of those were the police officers. I suspected some of those were actually Klan members as well. But um, there were also good people there. There were also officers that helped me. And, you know, I just, looking back on it now, I really can't tell you why I, I didn't run from that. I just, I felt compelled to be there and felt compelled that, that and once I started learning the job it was it was a good job it's good it's been a good career for me mm. and uh, I think God placed me there for whatever reason um, so I, I decided to stay and continue my work one of my sergeants after I had gotten out of the training came to me and he said do you know Johnny Clary and I said I don't know Johnny Clary he said well you're going to meet him that he is a uh, leader of the Klan. And I said, okay. He said, you know what the Klan is, right? I said, yes, I know, <laughs> I know what the Klan is. And so he, um, he said, well, we get calls on him from time to time, and probably the next call we get, you're going to be the first one to go. And, you know, sure enough, within a few days, there was a call, and this was at the high school. They were actually conducting a Klan youth rally. They were recruiting trying to recruit students for the Klan Youth Corps. And so they were in their full regalia marching on the easement. They were in front of Moore High School on Eastern. And it, it, start, it, it ended up being a disturbance because some of the students were not happy that they were there, and they were actually throwing things at the Klansmen. So we were called there, and as I said, I was the first one there, and I think some of the officers stood back and watched me just to see how I was going to react. And to be honest with you, you know, I had never seen a Klan member yeah. in full regalia like that. I've seen pictures, sure. but this was the real thing. They were wearing their, their, their white sheets and their hoods and the whole bit. And so we stood back and we finally realized that we needed to quell that situation. So we got the students to stop and then the Klan members, they actually left after that point. They mm -hmm. really had, didn't recruit anybody. So that was, that was, my initial encounter with the Klan. Yeah, and so you're the first black police officer in Moore. Your first call was to kind of help alleviate the situation. Yes, that first call, my dealing with the Klan, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did Were people surprised on how you were backing the students up instead of the Klan members? Well, no, it was... I don't think so. I don't think it's a surprise. That's, that's what we needed to do because they were actually causing the, the students, if you will, the uh -huh. issue, throwing things at the Klan members. The Klan guys were in this easement. 
And we know how the laws are in the United States about peaceful protest. They they were there marching in the easement, which is public property. You know, obviously no one should be getting getting injured or hurt or anything like that. So wow, that's that's what you're supposed to do, right? So so what you're supposed to do yeah. is what you did. What I did. The Klansmen were in the easements. They were in the right peaceful yes. protesting, and you helped. The, oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And looking back at that, you're just doing your job. I was doing my job. Wow. That's impressive because you fast forward to 2023. I don't know if that would be the case. I, I I feel like that would make national news for all the wrong reasons, and it would get flipped on its head. Good for you, and you're a great example. You know, I don't know that I knew any better at the time other mm -hmm. than that was what I was supposed to do. Right, right. So how did your career progress from that moment? Well, you know, there, there was always pushback, like I said, you know, trying to make rank or trying to get into training, various trainings. You know, there were times when I would put in for something and I couldn't get it. Someone else would get it. Um, but, you know, I never attributed that to a race issue. And I think that a lot of people that know me will tell you that I have never said I didn't get something because I was black. I, I would definitely look at other reasons why I may not have gotten it because I really felt like if I threw that out there and I use that, you know, there's some people do it and, you know, that's their prerogative. And I'm not, certainly not going to talk against them for, for saying you did this to me because I'm a minority or I'm, you know, whatever. But... You know, I also saw that there were other reasons why they may not have given it to me, and I didn't use, want to use that as a crutch. If I ever had to, to come and and use that, I wanted to be 100% certain and that I could prove that was the case. And up until the point that I'm at right now in my career, I've never had to. Mm. But like I said, I'm not saying that that was wrong. It just wasn't wasn't my my uh, mode of operation. It wasn't my way of doing things. And there were certainly plenty of issues there that led to believe that I was being discriminated against, uh, whether it was, and I think I may have told you, you know, when I was in the police car just driving around, you know, then phone calls started coming in. Hey, there's an in with a gun in with a in your police cars, and maybe he stole it. He he must have stolen it because we don't have black people down here. Yeah. Or when I went to a call at someone's house, and they wouldn't answer the door, or they would open the door, close the door, and then call the police station and say. Hey, this black guy's here, and you know he's personating a police officer. So y'all need to come arrest him. Or and, and then they would tell them I was I was the police officer that mm. was sent to there. And then they would say, Well, we want a white police officer. We don't want him. You know. And I didn't let that distress me. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that my feelings weren't hurt. They sure. were. You know. I don't know that any human can can deal with rejection right. that many times and and not have it affects you in some form or fashion, but I didn't, I tried not to let it show. And I just got back in there each day and, and did my job and attempted to do my job. And I think over time, it, I, were, I overcame a lot of that stuff because I had conversations with people that would talk to me. I had mm -hmm. interactions with people that would, would give me a chance. And then they would see that I was an intelligent guy who was just trying to do his job and do the right thing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So it's, it's just, so fascinating that you didn't use that quote unquote minority race card as a crutch where a lot of 
I feel like a lot of minorities do these days. So when you see or hear that, what goes through your head? Well, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I don't blame them if they feel like that's what how they feel and that's what they feel like they need to say. But I think what I realized along the way by not doing that, I was disarming people because they expected me to say that. Mm. And so when I came at them at a different angle, if I found some other reason to say you're being unfair because of this reason or you're not following the rules because of this, this, and this, they had no defense for that. Yeah. Because they were expecting me to say, oh, you're only doing this because I'm black. Mm. And so that I think that helped me. Yeah. That's the undefeated mindset right there. Yeah. That's awesome. What, did you have any other altercations with the KKK in Moore or the leader of them? I had an encounter with Johnny Clary again. Uh, this one, usually I, I could see him in passing. He would be at a restaurant or something like that. And, you know, I just, I walk by and I say, hey, Mr. Clary, you know, or something like that. And, you know, he, he would kind of look at me like, <laughs> why are you talking to me? You yeah. know? I don't know that he ever really answered me or anything. But interestingly enough, one night he got into a, an altercation with one of his clan buddies. And he was, they got into a, a fight, physical altercation, and he was struck over the head with a, a shotgun, a wooden butt of a wow. shotgun and it, it actually broke it over his head and he was bleeding profusely. I was the first one on the call again. I get there at this apartment that's on 12th street and more off, off of Janeway. And I go up and visit with him and he's telling me about what happened. You know, I take a, I find a towel that he's got in his, uh, his apartment and I, I wrap his head with it and put pressure on, on his bleeding wound. And, of course, call for medical. I say, this is a medical call. I need assistance with that. And he gives me information about what happened on the call and who, who did this. He knew who it was. And he knew what kind of vehicle he was driving. So I put that information out over the air. Officers find this guy, and they arrest him. Subsequently from that incident, of course, he went to the hospital. He, he got ashed up and everything was good. I don't think I saw him again until we ended up having to go to court on this. I actually had to testify on that particular case in district court in Cleveland County, which oh, is in man. Norman. And I talked about what I did, what happened, the, just the facts of the case. And it was so interesting because the attorney for the other Klansman, he really, he tried to, I think he tried to shake me up. And I'm, mm. that's, that's typical in court. That's just part of the game. And, but he came at me like, why don't you know who this guy is? You know, why would you, why would you try to help him? I said, what do you mean? You know, he said, he doesn't like you because you're black. And I said, I understand that. You know, and, he said, and I said, you know, he has a right to believe what he wants to believe. That's, I said, I don't have to agree with that. I said, but what I was there for was to do my job. And my job at that time was to take care of his wounds until medical got there and it was to get the information about what happened in that incident and do as I did, put that information out, which led to the arrest of your, your client. And it was just, it was, it was interesting just the way that that went. 
And that's, like I say, part of the, if you will, circus of, of courtroom procedures. Uh, gentleman was convicted. Mm-hmm. So it went on, life went on. Subsequently, somewhere down the line, I end up running to uh, Mr. Clary again. And this was maybe a few years later, and he came over to me. I was working a mall. It was an outlet mall that used to be in Moore, and I was working security. He tells me, thank you. He wants to thank me for testifying and helping him. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, that was my, that's my job, what I'm supposed to do. And he said, well, he said, it is your job, but I don't know that you had to do it. Yeah, actually, I did. Um, so he also went on and said, that told me that he wanted me to know that he has uh, disavowed the Klan and he's moving on with his life and doing other things. And at the time, I really didn't even know just how much of a, how involved he was in the Klan. Later on, I found out that he was initially like the state leader of the Klan. Then he went on to be, um, I think, with David Duke, like one of his second-in-commands, and then he ascended to the Imperial Wizard of the whole Klan at one point in time. So I... I had I had no clue. Obviously, you know, I was trying to follow the plan. So, but uh, I later found that out. And so later, as life goes on, I was attending a funeral. I had moved on to Oklahoma City as an officer, moved out of war. And I went to a funeral of a officer that I used to work with in Moore. And that my, my sergeant, who was the one who asked me before if I knew Johnny Clary? He was actually at that funeral, and he came over to me. He said, "Nate, you're not gonna guess. You're not gonna. You can't believe who I just talked to." I said, "Who'd you talk to?" Johnny Lee Clary. I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "You're not gonna believe this fact that he is an ordained minister." I said, "Oh, great for him." He said, "No, you don't get it. He was ordained in a black church." I said, <laughs> "What?" <laughs> I said, you're kidding me, right? He said, no, no. And he wants to, he, he, he said, here's his email address. He asked me if you would reach out to him. I said, okay. So I sent him an email and I said, hey, um, I don't know if you would remember me. You know, I wasn't significant in his life, so I don't know if he would remember me or not. So I sent him a, an email and he's like, yeah, I remember you. He said, I remember you. I said, remember you, you, you helped save me when that clan member tried to kill me, you know? And... He said, you were always kind to me, always respectful. He said, it was the white officers that treated me poorly. He said, I should have written you about you in my book. He's written books, and he was uh, on Jimmy Swaggart Ministries. Wow. And traveled the world denouncing the Klan and all that belief. So, And he basically said, you know, it, you and, and Reverend Watts were the people who Help me see that, you know, all black people aren't what I was taught. All black people weren't bad and evil. So, you know, may have had a little bit of help changing his mind. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Now you sound like you had a lot to change in his mind. It wasn't that shotgun butt over the, his head that changed his mind. <laughs> I guarantee you that. That made part of the process because you were there on the scene to help save his life pretty much. Yeah. So why did you leave more? You know, that's a good question. I stayed with Moore probably, it depends on how you look at it. I ended up working there 10 years, and uh, several officers that I worked with at Moore had left Moore and went to Oklahoma City, and then they had encouraged me to come to Oklahoma City. And it, I, 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 I was comfortable there, and I was doing good things, I felt like, there. And 
city of Moore. The whole time I was there, I was still the only black officer they had for 10 whole years. Wow. And, and I don't know if no one else applied. I didn't, I wouldn't know that or if they just didn't make it. I was there that 10 years. So these officers all left and they actually talked about me up at Oklahoma city and, and they were saying, you really need to come up here, Nate. You need to transition to Oklahoma city. You would blossom up here. You do really well. And the last five years that I worked at more, the economics were pretty bad and, mm. and, and we did not receive races in that five years. So in 1989, city of Oklahoma city passed this three quarter cent sales tax. And it was dedicated for public safety, fire department and police department. So they were on a big recruiting campaign with those same guys. They really put the pressure on me and said, Nate, you need to come up here. So I said, okay, okay, okay. You know, it's been five years. I haven't gotten a raise and, you know, Oklahoma City's paying a little bit more. So I went up and I went to the recruiting office and I walk in and it was, it was the craziest thing because I walk in and I said, hi, I said, yeah, my name's Nate. We know who you are. Get over here and fill out that application. I'm kind of like, what? you know, I said, yeah, these guys have been talking you up and we've been waiting for you to get here. And so I said, okay. So, you know, I filled out the application and, you know, I was a little trepidatious about it because I didn't know, you know, something new. I haven't looked for a job in 10 years. And so I fill out the application in a process that normally takes eight months to a year. They rushed me through it in less than two months. Wow. So the next thing, it was whirlwind. And so the next thing I knew was I was, they had an academy that was coming up that was starting in September. And I think this was probably in July or August, uh, June or July. And so they swept me in and I'm, I was in that academy, uh, September uh, 29th, 1989. Wow. And so I'm in the Oklahoma City Police Academy and that's how I left. Yeah. It was kind of like I was just sort of sucked into the vacuum, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of your assignments for OCPD? Well, we all start out as patrol officers. Okay. Okay. So I graduated like uh, the academy and was had my first assignment February 14th, uh, 1990. And I went to a brand new police station called Spring Lake Division. So I worked patrol there and I went through the FTO program, which is about four months. That's where you ride with a seasoned officer and learn how to do things. And one thing that I, I have to say, it was kind of interesting because apparently I didn't realize how well known I was with various people. People talked about me for various things. Right before I left, right before I was leaving the city of Moore, I was working inside as as a uh, sergeant over investigations and deputy chief for Oklahoma city had called down. He had a, a niece that lived in Moore, and apparently someone had been making bogus phone calls, had the uh, harassing phone calls to her. And one of our investigators at Moore was working on this. He had left to go to the military leave. So anyway, this deputy chief calls and I get the phone call and he's asking, what are you doing? on this and why haven't you done blah, 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 you know, how, why haven't you taken care of all this? And I said, sir, I said, you know, we're doing the best we can because I'm brand new in that position. So I had no clue what, what I was talking about, but I said, you know, we're doing the best we can. He said, well, you know, if that would have happened up here. And I said, well, sir, this isn't up there. I said, this is here at more. I said, we don't have, you know, the equipment you guys have. We don't have the expertise. I said, but we're trying to do the best we can. Yeah. And that was pretty much the conversation. Well, 
what I found out was when I went to Oklahoma City and I'm sitting on my boards, my boards to interview to take that job, mm-hmm. that deputy chief was sitting right there on the board. He is one of wow. the five or six people. And I'm kind of like, ooh. <laughs> you know, I say, well, I said, it's a good thing I can go back to more because I'm not getting this job. So, yeah, he was not happy with me. So, but uh, what I found out later was that that deputy chief, he apparently recused himself. Oh. He recused himself. And I'm not sure if he did it because it was the right thing to do or because the rest of the people pressured him. But the other uh, five or four deputy chiefs and major, they all loved me. And, and I was later told, well, one of the reasons we liked you is because you told him off. And I said, I didn't tell him off. I said, I was very respectful. I mean, so that was the reputation yeah. that kind of got out. So when I'm in my first assignment, after I come out for FTO at Spring Lake, one of the seasoned officers came up to me and he said, yeah, you're going to, you're going to be real good here. Cause aren't you the guy who told deputy chief off? I was kind of like, Oh no. <laughs> I said, please don't spread that rumor. You know, you yeah. don't want to start out on a bad foot in a new agency, you know, yeah. and have this reputation. So anyway, but they recognized the fact that I had been an officer for as many years as I had. And so after I got through the training program, I was assigned with a, a partner and we wrote partners back then in a few districts. And uh, my partner was Kendall Satterwhite. He's a big old country boy. He's big, best, one of the best guys I had ever wanted to meet. And several of the guys, they thought he was dumb. You know, they just think he's dumb because he talks slow and he moves methodically. But the dude was as smart as anybody I've ever met. He could remember names, faces, tag numbers, and just rattle them off just like that. And he knew that northeast part of Oklahoma City like the back of his hand. And I felt very lucky to be able to ride with him. And so anyway, we rode together and we had some good times in patrol. And then uh, we have been together about, uh, let's see, maybe five months when I was called into the major's office. And the major, he said to me, he said, they, we need somebody to go to special projects, which is basically the narcotics unit. Ooh. And um, we think you'd be a good person to go. And of course, I was still on probation. And usually in probation, you know, you don't get plum assignments. You don't get nice assignments like that. Uh, guys have to be there for a while mm. to be selected for things like that. And so I said, oh, people will see this as special treatment. And I'm not going to bet. I'm not about that. So I said, sir, I respectfully decline. And he says, damn it, Nate, you've probably <laughs> forgotten more about being a police officer, most of these guys know. He said, we're sending you over there. You know? <laughs> I said, okay, sir. You know, So I started my career as a narcotics officer at that point. I'd only been on the Oklahoma City Police Department for less than a year, basically less than a year. And yeah. so they sent me to narcotics. And, and I meet my one of my best friends, his name is uh, Dexter Nelson, and he and I partnered up. So we worked narcotics for basically two years. And I uh, was out buying undercover, you know, drug transactions and, and that whole bit. And uh, so that was one of my assignments. And then we morphed into the uh, drive-by shooting team because drive, uh, gang activity and, and drive-by shootings were prevalent at that time. So I did that. Then I went back to patrol. I then uh, promoted to a detective mm. and went in. And this was right about the time of the mirror, mirror bombing. Mm. I was in burglary at that time. Um, 
I spent time in burglary, missing persons, uh, and uh, short stint in robbery. And then I tested, not didn't test, but I applied for the public information officer. So I, wow. I was a public information officer for the police department for about about four years. Wow. I promoted to lieutenant, back to patrol as a supervisor, and then eventually promoted to captain. Yeah. So, so I've, I've had quite a few good assignments with the Oklahoma City Police Department. Yeah. Narcotics division. Can you talk about any of your oh, undercover sure. buys? Oh, yeah. Oh, any, yeah. Any rookie mistakes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's really funny. When I first got to the uh, narcotics unit, there on the east side of Oklahoma City, northeast side, they had this guy, and I, I don't recall his name. I wouldn't say it if I remembered it anyway, but he had, they had been trying to catch this guy for the longest time because he was bringing in product, which at the time was crack cocaine, in large quantities from California, bring it here, and he was distributing in that part of town. And so they had been trying to infiltrate and hadn't been able to do it. And so they say, well, Nate's a new face. We'll send him. <laughs> we'll send him in there, okay, and see if he can do anything. Well, I'm, this is the first time I've ever gone out to buy, buy drugs. Now, let me back up and tell you a story, too, that kind of sets <laughs> okay. this up. So when I was in field training in my second phase, I'm riding with an officer named Bob Tunnell. And Bob has been... He's a veteran officer. He had worked Bethany before he came to Oklahoma City. And so I'm riding with Bob. Bob recognized the fact that I've been an officer. And so he treated me like a partner as opposed to a rookie, you know, and even though he's evaluating what I learned. So we go to an apartment complex that is at uh, Kelly and Wilshire. I can't recall the name of it, but it was, it was a, basically a Section 8 type mm-hmm. housing apartment complex, low income and blighted. And... We're driving through the complex there, and this guy comes running up to the car. This gentleman, he's like, I'm glad you guys are over here. He said, these little heathens out here slinging rocks all over the place, and I need y'all to do something about it. And so I look over at him, and I said, why are they throwing rocks, sir? Do you have any idea? So my partner, he looks up to him. He said, really? I said, what? He said, I thought you were black. I said, what? And he's like, yeah, he's talking about crack. I said, I, I worked in more. They didn't have crack in more, <laughs> you know? I said, we didn't deal with that stuff. So I had no clue what he was talking about. I had no clue about crack cocaine, even though it was prevalent in Oklahoma City. I knew nothing about it. So that was the beginning of my learning. So a few months later, I'm in the narcotics unit. I know nothing about drugs. I know nothing about that drug trade. And anyway, so they're sending me to this high-level drug dealing person's house to buy drugs. So I'm saying, okay, I'm, you know, it's kind of like okay. So I walk up and I, um, and then they tell me before I get there, they say, well, a lot of times these guys, and I'm, I'm wired up, mm. uh, surveillance equipment and stuff, so they can hear what's going on. And they said, a lot of times these guys will have their music up really loud, and so we can't hear. So if there's any way you can get that music down, you need to turn it down. So, and you give, need to give, you know, information about what you see walking up to the house. You know, if you see cars with tag numbers and stuff like that, you give that. So I, I was given all that information, give it a, the, where the house numbers were on the house, and that's for a search warrant in case you need to do a search warrant. So I did that, knock on the door. And so this guy's girlfriend comes to the door. And so she said, what do you want? 
And I'm, I said, yeah, I'm looking for some. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking for crack cocaine. So she lets me in, and I say the guy's name. I said, yeah, I need it's, it's such and such here, you know? She said, yeah, hold on. And the music's loud. So he comes out of the back room. He man, what you want? <laughs> you know, what you want? I said, you know, I'm here for that. And he's like, okay. He said, who sent you? Do I know you? You know, that they ask because they're sketchy. They're, they're sure. like, you know, how do you know about me? I've never seen you before. And so I said, hey, you need to turn that music down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> These guys are hearing this. And they're saying, oh, my God, we're going to have to run in there and save him. <laughs> he didn't just tell that guy to turn his music down. Like a police officer yeah, would. Yeah, yeah. So the guy, he goes over there. He, I guess he was shocked. He, went over, he turned it down. He turned it down. He sold me the dope. I come out. And they're kind of like, we thought you were going to die, man. And you made that deal. We've been sending seasoned officers in there to buy. You go in there. You tell him to turn his music down. And then you buy dope off of them. They made a federal case. My first dope deal was a federal wow filed in federal court. I testified wow. federal court on this guy. Yeah. Dang. So looking back on it, I know God's been taking care of me. You know, obviously God takes care of me. So, yeah. So yeah, that was that was that was pretty funny. So it just kind of went you know from there went 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 really well. So, wow, slinging rocks! You didn't know what slinging didn't rocks know, was. Didn't know what slinging rocks was. Yeah, no. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's funny too because they were trying to teach me how to talk like a black gangster, you know, and I could, I could never quite achieve that. So we would have names for each other, right? So Dexter was Sweet D because Dexter knew everybody, and you know he was just just kind of a cool dude, and so they named him Sweet D. And uh, uh, there was another uh, Nelson that we worked with, and he was a white guy, so. It was Chocolate Nelson and Nilla Nelson. And so then they came up with the name for me because I needed a street name and said, we're going to call you Two-Tone. <laughs> I said, why? Why are you calling me Two-Tone? Because you look black, but you talk like you white. Act like you white. You know? <laughs> so I said, okay. So that was my street name, Two-Tone. Do they still call you Two-Tone? Some of the guys. Some of the guys. Some of the guys. Some of the guys. Were that Work that they'll say, hey, two tone, what's up? You know. So, <laughs> so how long were you OCPD, and then from there you went to OU, or how did that work? Was a yeah, I was with uh, OCPD for twenty six years. Twenty six yeah. years. So at this point, at the point that I had twenty six years with OCPD, I had thirty six years of law enforcement police officer. I rose to the rank of captain. Was a shift commander, and um, uh, I was trying to make major. Um, there were some issues with uh, trying to make major, you know, you mm -hmm. kind of be, had to be in the special groups, you gotcha. know, had to have somebody advocate for you. And, you know, um, one of my problems is that I am the guy who, you know, I want to do what's right. I really want, want to do what's right. And being doing what's right sometimes means for the guys that are below you as well as above you, rules are the same to me, you know, and, and I don't think that the rules should change because you have more rank than me that you don't do the job the way you're supposed to do it. And mm. so, you know, I would call people out on things like that. I sure. would make, you know, not respectfully, but, you know, some of my commanders, they, they didn't appreciate that. Yeah. And so it was like, you pretty much tell them, tell you, you're not going to, you're not going to rise in this because we get to pick who we want. And uh, unfortunately, I think that that, that still plays true mm -hmm. 
in, in many arenas, still even with the Oklahoma City Police Department. So with that being said, I happened to be in a training class, a leadership training class. It's called the uh, FBI uh, LIDA. Uh, and in this class was an officer who was the chief of the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. And he approached me one day and he said, hey, you know, I'm looking for a deputy chief. Think you might be interested in, I don't know, maybe, you know. So he said, well, I'd like for you to meet my boss and we can just have lunch and you can, we can chat and talk and whatever. I said, oh, okay. Is he buying lunch? So yeah, okay. I'm always good for a lunch. <laughs> so I went and met this, this um, vice president. Um, his name is uh, Ken Rowe with the university. And we just sat and chatted and had a conversation and talked. And he asked me some things about my background and told me a little bit about the university. And so it really wasn't a job interview, but it was just get to know each other. Because mm -hmm. when that chief told me about what the salary was, I didn't think it. I said, nah, I'm not, that's not, that's not going to work for me. Yeah. So I go on about my business and about a few months later, there was another class, another sequel class to the one I was taking. I'm in this class and this chief comes over to me and he hands me this envelope. He said, I got something for you. And it was a job offer, you know, with a salary that was a lot better. Mm. And so at that point in time, I gave it a lot of prayer and consideration, talked to my, my daughters and, and some close friends. And, you know, why not? Why not do that? Why not? So they brought me on as de <clears throat> deputy chief. One of my good friends who is now a deputy chief here at Oklahoma City, his name is Ron Basie. I'll, I'll never forget a conversation I had with him. And he said, Nate, he said, I'm concerned about you. What do you mean? He said, don't go over there and make that chief look bad. I said, I'm not. That's not. I said, how am I going to do that? He said, by being you. Mm. I said, well, you want me to be anything or something? I'm not. You know, he's like, I'm just telling you, Nate. He said, I know how you are. He said, and you're going to make him look bad. And I said, that's not my intent. Right. You know, I don't know if Ron knew something I didn't know. But when I got there, you know, the operation was. In shambles, and it needed some tightening up. There, you know, the officers were not as disciplined as they should have been, and you know things weren't running as well as they should have. And there were people doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. And he was right. You know, that goes against my beliefs. We have a set of guidelines. We have rules. We have procedures that need to be followed, and that's what you have to do. So I held people accountable. Unfortunately, ended up with you know a couple of people getting terminated and. But they, it, was, it was an HR nightmare mm -hmm. over there. And so they appreciated that. One thing that I found out later was that, <clears throat> you know, they, they were not as happy with the chief at the time and how he was doing things. I had no clue about that. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know. So I was called in and I was offered a stipend to my salary. And I said, what's this? And they said, well, we believe in paying people their worth. Said, okay, I understand that. I said, but, you know, this puts me up to his salary. Uh, now I work for him. And they said, we know. I said, does he know about this? And they said, well, no, he doesn't. I said, well, I respectfully decline. I said, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And so they said, well, we're going to tell him about it. 
And of course, when once they told him, he wasn't happy, and so he decided to leave. And at that time, I had also been in touch with a headhunter, which I never knew what a headhunter was. I got on LinkedIn because somebody told me that's what you need to do. You know, when you get a <laughs> executive job or yeah. in certain positions so i didn't know what linkedin was you know i didn't do social media or any of that other stuff but i, I got on there because i thought that's what you're supposed to do and so this headhunter reached out to me and so he had asked if i would be willing to assist with their process for a chief of police for the university of texas southwest medical center and this i've been with ou for almost a year now and i'm kind of like yeah you know because i'm thinking he wants a subject matter expert. I've done that. You know, I've gone to other cities and done assessments and helped write tests and things, promotional exams. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll help with that. And he said, wait a minute. I think you misunderstand. We want you to apply for this job. <laughs> I'm going like, what? I'm going I don't want to move to Texas. And they wouldn't hire me anyway. You know, I don't think they are competitive. So I talked to these same friends that got me in trouble before about <laughs> moving to this job and said, they said, you should do it. Just do it. See what they say. Send your resume in. Mm-hmm. So against my better judgment, I sent the resume in. And they they snagged it. And, and they wanted to meet me and wanted to talk to me. And I found out there was a field of about 40 applicants for this job wow. from various parts of the country. And when it was all said and done, I ended up on the short list of two. And um, I kind of really felt like I was probably going to get that job. That's when this job came up open here mm. for the chief's job. And so Kent Rowe, um, I had to go talk to him because they were going to do my background. Obviously, you don't want to call him right. and out of the clear blue and say, hey, look, you know, I, I really wasn't looking for a job, but this opportunity fell in my lap and I felt follow through on it. And they're going to call. I haven't decided what I'm going to do. And he said, well, he said, you know, I'm looking for a chief, too. I said, I heard. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, I'm, I'm really not looking for one because I'm offering the job to you because I want you hmm. to be the chief. Well, I had conversations with my daughters, and they threatened bodily harm to me if I moved out of state. So I knew probably was in my best interest to stay yeah. here and pursue this opportunity, which I did. Yeah. And so I then became the chief of the Health Sciences Center. So shortly after that, maybe a couple of years, uh, uh, vice president, they had a, a leadership change for the university overall. And they um, brought in this vice president for operations over the whole university, mm-hmm. which is the Norman campus. The, the chief that was at the Norman campus, she retired. And so this vice president, Eric Conrad, he contacted me and he said, <clears throat> Nate, I want you to be the chief over the whole university. He said, what do you think about that? I said, I think that's a bad idea. <laughs> we need to go. Yeah. He said, I think that's a bad idea. And I said, why? He said, why do you think? I said, well, undergraduates, Greek, athletes, you know, professors. I said, that's just not a good idea. <laughs> And so he said, well, we really want you to do it. Mm. So he asked me three times, and I said no three times. So they went out, did an outside search, found a candidate who ended up turning it down (laughs) after they were going to bring him in. And so they came back to me and said, 
well, we'll pay you some more money and blah, blah, blah. And I said, we really want you to do, we, we could tell you to do it. Yeah. You know, I said, okay. So here I am. I'm the chief of police for the University of Oklahoma. All three campuses. Wow. Campus in Tulsa, campus in Oklahoma City, and the campus in Norman. Man. That's how I have this job. So it's interesting because, like I told you before, I didn't go looking for these jobs. Right. Right. Just sort of fell in my lap. There's a picture, black and white picture, is in Moore, North, Northmore Elementary. You're the first black police officer Moore. And what I remember from my days at Northmore Elementary, there was, I mean, it's predominantly white. Hmm. And, but you're the first black police officer. And where I'm going with this is you're teaching a program. And all these kids, their eyes were just glued on you. Do you remember what that program was about? Yeah, that was a program that the chief of police at Moore named Ron Willis, he came on board and he had, I think Ron came from Oregon. And they had a program out there that was called the, the School Liaison Office. Mm -hmm. And it was before school resource officers were there. And he said that they placed an officer with the school system to go around to all the schools and to interact with the students, talk to them about safety, talk to them about drugs, talk to them about stranger danger, whatever the case mm -hmm. might be. And so he um, developed that program. He put it out. He asked for people to apply for it. I applied for it, and I got it. So I went to every more public school mm -hmm. from elementary to high school mm -hmm. and talked to the students, interacted with them, had this chart, talked about safety and kindergartner kids. You know, I went to preschools, um, Mother's Day out, things of that nature. And yes, you know, I engaged the children and talked to them and interacted with them, had lunch with them, went out on the playground with them. You know, it's pretty much what's, what Dare uh, kind of turned into, if you will. Yeah. So, yes. And never had any real issues. You know, um, you know, there were conversations with some of the kids and said, you know, I'd have little kids say, yeah, you know, my daddy says you're an in, you know, or something like that. My <laughs> Wow. Um and, and, you know, little kids would walk by, hi, Ian, hi, Ian, you know, yeah. stuff like that. You know, and they're kids, you know. Sure. And so, you know, they're innocent. You know that that came from some other place. Sure. You know, but you deal with it. Yeah. 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 And you taught these programs, even in Oklahoma City, right, when you're a police officer in Oklahoma City? It was actually D.A.R.E. at that time, the formal D.A.R.E. Yeah. program that came out. Yes, D.A.R.E. I was a D.A.R.E. instructor, and I had, I had really good good time with it. Yeah, do you have any kids that followed you through that remembered you? Absolutely. Um, one good story I like to tell. My first school that I went to was Millwood, and that that one it was an interesting because the parents were not as participatory as as I would have liked. But you know, the goal is to for me the goal is you know if you can change one life, I think you're a success. If you can influence one person. Mm. So the next year, I did you know a good enough job. They they sent me to another school. I'm trying to remember what the name of that school. Was. I think it was Wiley Post Elementary. Wiley Post Elementary, and it was. I mean, it was a long day. You know, you're doing five six classes of fifth graders, and, and they're can be rambunctious or after lunch and like everybody else, they're tired and kind of sleepy, not paying attention. You think they're not paying attention, but I went through my program. 
And so at the end of the curriculum is a culmination is what they call it. And that's when you bring in maybe a guest speaker. You have like a certificates for all the kids that completed the program and the whole bed. And you talk about your success. It's a, it's a big assembly for the school. And so when I did it at, at Millwood, I probably had maybe 10 parents show up, you know, with all the, all the classes that I had. It wasn't good participation. But at Wiley Post, it was like 100%. Wow, you know, if if not, that was close to it. I mean, there were a lot of people there. A lot of parents showed up. They were very engaged, and so we went through the program, went through, finished up the culmination. At the end of it, I had a line that was out the door of parents that were wanting to talk to me. Those are huge wins. I think so. Huge wins. I think so. And you know, the best sad thing about the the Dare program, the way people look at it is, you know, there's not instant successes because you can change the mind of young people. But I saw the success. You know, when the parent says, I have to stop smoking, or my kid came home, he's talking about it. Or if 15, 20 years later, this young man says, because of you, I want to be an Oklahoma City police officer. Mm. I think that even those one, two successes make the program. Yeah. What are a couple of questions you wish people would ask you as a person, but no one ever asked you? Oh, gosh. That's a good question. I think probably... Um, one of the questions would be, you know, as a police officer, do you, do I think uh, police officers, uh, uh, you know, what what the what what is the intrinsic value of doing the job of a police officer? You know, because mm-hmm. I think that um, everybody sees it a little bit differently. And for me, I think getting back to the a model of community mm-hmm. engagement is probably what I would be my answer think that we need to get to know each other a lot better. I think we need to ask each other questions, those questions, hard questions that people, because, and we need to be open-minded. We need to, to be ready to take on someone else's point of view and mm-hmm. just think about it and, and try to understand it before we just dismiss it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also wish people would ask me, what is, what is my daily life like? You know, what, what, what is it? As a leader in a police organization, what what is it like? Because it's pretty busy, you know. It's pretty busy, and there's a lot of things going. On. And for me, especially if I'm over three campuses, you know, I was talking to some officers last night, and they were we we talk about officer wellness right now. That's a big thing, and mm-hmm. it's important because you find that um, with anybody and everybody, you have things going on in life that affect how you think and how you feel. And if you don't get enough rest, if you have issues with your family and those things you can't dismiss those when you go to work yeah and so each of us have these troubles that we have to deal with but um i think that if people would take the time to have the conversations and say we understand and we see it from your point of view or we try to see it from your point of view i think that would be helpful because we as police officers or Anybody else, we're all people when it comes right down to it. And our people, basic people problems are probably the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think politics has divided our country? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it has. And it's going to continue. I think the problem with me is that, for, for me, I should say, is that people don't want to respect how someone else's viewpoint. Mm. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't sure. have to agree on a whole lot of things, but we should respect each other and respect right. the fact that we have 
our thoughts about it and we can talk about it mm-hmm. and have a civil conversation about what the differences are. Because I think when you start doing that, you actually start learning. You can kind of empathize with someone else mm-hmm. based on the conversation. Yeah, I, I think that's what happened with me in growing up and, and going through. I started out very, very poor in, in my life. And, and, you know, I tell people now how what a blessing it is for me to be where I am now in my life because I never saw myself at this point. But I understand what it was like when I had nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, when by the standards of the world, I probably still have nothing compared to other people. But I'm very happy and very, I, I feel like I'm successful at yeah. whatever level I'm at at time. But yeah. conversations are paramount. We just got to talk. We got to give the other person an opportunity to say what they have to say. So we need to learn to listen. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, your job and leadership job or police officer as a human, you've got to be a good listener. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. What are you most proud of? Well, I'm proud of several things. I'm proud of my daughters. I've got a daughter who is a nurse, trauma nurse, and you know, I never thought she'd get there either, you know, just the way things began. Uh, I've got a, a daughter who is a uh, 911 dispatcher, Oklahoma City Police Department. Very proud of them. And my youngest daughter, she's working on her nursing degree. So they, I light up, you know. It's, it's, it's funny. I, I remember when they were babies, you know, you come home and you just kind of like feel like the weight of the world gets off your shoulders. And when they call me, they probably don't know this, but when they call me and I see their number, you know, and they're just calling, hey, Dad, how are you? Like that, you know, I feel the same way I feel now. Mm-hmm. But I'm also proud of the fact that I didn't allow things to change me and my basic ideas of other people and humans and what's right and wrong and fairness. My deputy chief here at the HSC, he said to me one day, he said, You know, once he knew what my story was, he said, Why are you not bitter? He said, if there's anybody in the world that I've ever met that deserves to be bitter, it's you. He said, but you're not. I don't understand. And I said, well, said Terry Schofield. I said, Terry, I said, if I was bitter, if, if I was that angry person, would you care what my story was? He said, no, you're right. Mm. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't, wouldn't want to know anything about you. Indeed. I said, I don't know that I have a right to be bitter. I don't think I have a right, you know. I said, and what I think I found is that's just extra. It takes extra effort to hate people, to be angry and all this other stuff. And I just, I don't have time for that. Yeah. I, I don't need, I've got other things I want to do with my life. And yeah. Be upset with people. Mm-hmm. You just let things roll off sometimes. You know, at the end of the day, if they're not trying to stab me, shoot me, the words that come out of people's mouth, I mean, don't meet as much. Yeah. How do you want to be remembered? As a good guy. Fair guy. There, there are a lot of people that say lots of good things about me, and, and I, don't want to be, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be put up on a pedestal because I'm, I'm not a pedestal person. Average guy. I'm trying to live my life and make it to retirement, see the world. So, um, you know, Todd, he tells people, hey, Nate's a legend. I'm still yeah. here, you know. I'm still here. Don't 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 put me in, in into the legend category yet. But I I understand what he's trying to say, and I appreciate the fact that they recognize that I have, hopefully, I guess did, done something significant 
But at the end of the day, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't what I was trying to do. I was just trying to live my life. I was just trying to get by. And and uh, I care about people. I will always care about people. And I think that that's what we all need to do. We need to care about each other a little bit better. Yeah, I love it. Well, from Chief Younger to Chief Gibson to Officer Vincent to a few of my friends that are OCPD that I told them I was going to meet with you and record a podcast, they all say you are legendary. So, Chief, <laughs> thank you for your service. Well, thank you. And thank you for your kindness and your bravery to our country and our community, more importantly. So, Well, thank you for the opportunity to tell my story. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, you sir. Bet. Appreciate you. Chief Tarver, thank you so much for coming back for this supplemental uh, interview. There are so many questions that some of our listeners that I was talking to about off air and they're like, Hey, can you bring him back on? So uh, there's some questions they want answered and awesome. we will go into those here in a few minutes. But sure. the, the theme is leadership through adversity. Yes. What does leadership mean to you? You know, leadership, that's a good question. Leadership to me is many things. It's, it's many things. It's about, uh, it's about, accommodation uh when you can do it it's about uh examples uh mentorship it's about accountability it's about trust um it's about modeling the way and i as a matter of fact i recently gave a talk on leadership it was with the oklahoma city police department on a program they called lead and lead stands for leadership ethics accountability and development, mm. which encompassed all those things I just said, because when you're modeling the way and you're mentoring, then you're developing people. Yeah. Accountability is a big thing. A lot of people get into leadership or supervisory positions and they forget about the accountability. Accountability is not just the people that report to you, but accountability is yourself and you're accountable to them too. And to the organization, obviously, mm -hmm. that you work for. Ethics is a big, big thing. You know, one of the things that I shared with the group that I was talking to was the fact that, you know, you're always on stage, especially when you're in an elevated position such as a supervisor. Mm -hmm. But leadership is not just about supervising. And we're all leaders in our own rights, depending on what venue you're in, you know, whether you're the father figure, mm -hmm. whether you're the um, police officer or you're the manager or whatever the case might be, leadership qualities can manifest themselves in many, many ways. And those are the things that we really need to pay attention to. As I said earlier, you're always on stage. And so people are watching. Mm -hmm. Astute people are truly watching to see not you fail, but how you go about doing your daily business and how you go about interacting with other people and how you affect other people. And for me, especially when we talked about the fact that I was the first black officer at the city of Moore, I knew I was the focus of attention. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't just the color of my skin, but it was also the fact that I was in a uniform. And so people are watching. And what I did was watch in turn those people that I was working around to see the good things they did and what I considered not bad things, but maybe things that didn't fit me or fit my style. And I took, took from all these things because I, I feel like I learn from everybody that I'm around. If they do something that, and I see how it affects other people, I say, well, maybe that's something I don't need to put in my toolbox. But if they do something that ingratiates themselves to other people or 
other people uh, sit there and they watch and they see that as something that inspires them, then that's something that I want to put in my toolbox sure. and use later on down the line and try to mold those things into my own style of leadership. Mm-hmm. So I, it may have been a convoluted answer of what leadership is, but you know those things are what leadership means to me. And leadership also means inclusiveness, mm-hmm. including all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. One of the things that I also talk about is the fact I ask quick I ask people this question: You work in an office setting. Do you have someone that cleans that office for you? And most people say yes. I said, Do you know that person's name? Mm. Have you told that person that you appreciate the fact that they are doing that job? Because all jobs are important. I worked with a group of, of officers before, and in the winter time, when we were out driving around at night, you know, we have water breaks in the city. Um, and people that work in the water uh, department have to come out, even when it's freezing cold, if there's a water break, they've got to fix that. And they're out there digging and freezing and the whole bit, and I would hear our guys laughing about, oh, those poor slobs are out there, you mm-hmm. know. And I said, you know, I said, you need to be grateful for those guys. Yeah, you got to be because someone – has water because they're out there doing <laughs> yeah. that job at that time. Yeah. I said, I'm very thankful for them. And I tell those guys that I'm thankful for that. You know, we give the fire department a lot of grief as police officers. You know, it's kind of a friendly banter back and forth. Sure. Until, you know, and, and I didn't think so much about that until it was wintertime and they were fighting a fire. And a lot of times the police officers will guard the hoses because a lot of people don't think about this. You drive over a water hose, you decrease pressure, mm-hmm. and then the pressure kicks back on. If you've ever uh, trained with firefighters and they're holding that hose, you'll notice there's two or three guys holding it mm-hmm. because that thing is powerful sure. and it flip, flip, flips around. So it's important for us to you know make sure that people aren't running over those hoses and they can damage the hose as well too. But w- what my real appreciation was was the fact that I'm two or three blocks away from that fire and I in 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 the cold of the winter I can feel the intense heat. Wow. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh. So I would tell those guys, I said, man, I appreciate the fact that you're all willing to do that job because there's no way in the world I go yeah. in that that burning house and with all that heat. And of course they would say, well you're the strange one. You can let people shoot at you, you know? So but leadership <laughs> is important and I think people need to realize that uh, how important it is portray yourself if you're especially if you're in a sanctioned leadership position Mm -hmm. but never forget the fact that we are all leaders in our own right yeah i love it and uh, two words that were powerful is a appreciation and grateful being uh, a leader a good human being you have to have those two words of vocabulary along with actions on that so yes indeed good for you chief yeah I, i was thinking about when we met up a few weeks ago and recorded and we talk about leadership. We, we talk about adversity. Do you think turning the clock back to when you're the first black police officer in Moore, Oklahoma, you feel like that opened doors and paved the way for other black police police officers or maybe Asians or Hispanics? You know, I, I, I think so. I, I really hasten to take credit for things. And, you know, sure. People tell me you are you're a trailblazer and you did all these great things. Well, that's you know, interestingly enough, you know, I didn't set out. Obviously, I I had no idea what I was getting myself into, nor did I realize the mm-hmm. path that I was going to take. 
and the effect it would have on others that I did that. Right. But yes, yes, it did. And then when I be, realized that I could be a change agent, that I could do things to pave the way for other people, then it became a purpose at mm-hmm. that point, you know. And so you, I really had to focus on what I was doing and how I was doing my business. Yeah. Because I, then it became more so that people were watching and um, modeling my behavior or waiting for me maybe just to mess up yeah. really bad so right. they could take my wheels from under me. So, and... You know, no one's perfect, obviously. You know, if I could look back on my life and say there are things that I wish I had done better. But I, at this point, you know, I, I, I'm blessed. It's, it's a blessing. You know, to me, it was a God-led path because I couldn't have done that on my own. I was fortunate enough to make fairly decent decisions that turned out to be well accepted and received by others. And so... Whatever I could have done or anything that I may have done that, that opened doors for other people, then, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm really glad about that. And I know that just recently I was at Todd's house, Todd Gibbs, Chief Gibson, uh, where he promote, just promoted a, another lieutenant who happens to be a man of color, black man. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, there are several officers there, you know, that have, have come since I, I left there. Uh-huh. So, you know, more very, very now very inclusive place and a good place to work. Yeah. 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 I, I do love the city of more. I do respect the heck out of a chief Gibson. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a good man. He is a good man. He also talks highly of you, sir. So your influence, Let, let's talk about mentorship. What are maybe a couple of your memories of mentoring younger police officers or young men or women? What are some couple memories you have? <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm not sure that I even knew that I was actually mentoring people when I, I, I guess I was, but I think one of the ones that I would mention to you would be uh, current deputy chief at Oklahoma City. His name is Ron Basie, and he's like a, a younger brother to me, a good guy. That, that guy, he is so intelligent, he's so smart, and he's so he carries himself so well, he has a good story too. Ron and I worked together as officers. And we're at the Spring Lake Division, and I had co- recently come back to the street from a, another assignment that I had from at the police department. And Ron was a young officer, very young officer, and he actually got placed with me for a couple of days. And he told me later, he said, "You know, when they put me with you, he said I thought I'd done something wrong, and they were putting me with you to show me how to do the job the way it needs to be done." And I said, "I don't think that was it because they didn't tell me that, you know, but." You know, I, I really don't know what, what the situation was. It might have been just a happenstance placement. Mm. But, you know, we had conversations, and I'm obviously I'm about at least 10 years older than he is. So, you know, I have lived a little bit of life and, and dealt with some things that obviously he hadn't dealt with. And so we had some, some good conversation of things that he leaned from me. And so from that, he has revealed to me that, you know, he kind of wanted to model some of the things that, that, that I've done. Um, and I took the job very seriously, you know, and he was a young man and he's like, I'm going through my young man phase. And, but, you know, I realized at that point that maybe I should change the way I I see things and focused Mm -hmm. on things. This is what he revealed to me later. Um, I got promoted. I got promoted to Lieutenant and I encouraged him to promote. I encouraged him and he's like, 
you know, I don't know. I don't know if I've got, got what it takes to do that. And of course, I said, look at me. I said, you know, it's really, I said, you know, if they promote an idiot like me, you know, surely, I said, you're a smarter guy than I am. And he is. I, I believe he is. He's much smarter. And, but as we look around at some of the other people, and, and not to disparage them, but you can tell when you have a, something a little bit more on the ball than some other people, you know, and take the job a little bit more seriously. And so we have lots of examples of people that, that we felt like we could do the job better than. So I encouraged him to promote, and he finally did. And he finally did. And so from that, we kind of fed on each other and mentored each other. And uh, we, we made captain about the same time. I mm. made captain first. There were some trials and tribulations that we had to go through that I had to, to fight through. And I did it, and it kind of paved the way for him. And uh, uh, Chief Vashina Butler, who was the first black female uh, to make deputy chief, She's the first female, period, to make deputy chief for the uh, city of Oklahoma City. Wow. And uh, we encouraged each other. And, you know, the thing about it is, you know, the things I learned from going to all these different cities and as an assessor and helping to write promotional exams at other places that I have gone, I brought that stuff back and I shared it. And it wasn't just with the black officers or it wasn't just whatever. It's anybody who wanted to listen yeah. because I felt... It's important to do that, mm -hmm. you know. An organization like the Oklahoma City Police Department needs great leaders, you know. So, yeah. and great leaders, you know, don't always look the same. Mm -hmm. So, we all bring different things to the table um, that make that organization better. And so, anyway, so Ron Basie, he would be one of the ones. So, another quick one is I think I may have told you I taught Dare, which was mm -hmm. drug abuse resistance education as a, as an officer. And I went to Millwood School and I taught DARE to fifth graders there. And I went to Wiley Post Elementary School and taught DARE there. And at Wiley Post, it was really interesting because I had a lot of good parent participation. And these young students sometimes, you know, you, you would get kids who look at you as a police officer and they have stars in their eyes. You yeah. can just tell they're just thrilled that you're there. But there's other kids that are kind of like, eh, you know. And, and sometimes it looked like they were sleeping. You just never know. But, you know, I went about doing my lessons. And we had a culmination uh, of the program at the end. And I had a massive amount of parents that showed up for this. It was great because these parents actually stood in line after it was all done. And several of them, want, they wanted to talk to me. And they would tell me things like, you know, my son, he just couldn't miss the day that you were here. <laughs> he had to be he had to be there. Yeah. Or I had one parent tell me I had to stop smoking because you made such an influence on my son that he came home and said, Mom, Dad, you need to stop smoking. You know, uh, Sergeant Tarver said smoking's bad and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, 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 and they said that. They actually yeah. said that. One parent even told me, she said, uh, my son, just he would come home and he would repeat the lesson. He would tell me about the things that you all talked about. And I asked which son... Uh, which one was her son? And she pointed him out. And I'm, I'm like, wow, because I thought that kid was asleep, <laughs> you know, but he was listening. They, so they were soaking it in, soaking it in. Yeah. So let me fast forward. So I'm at, at the police department. I'm either a lieutenant or a captain. And uh, Ron Basie and I and several other officers, we set up this mentoring program for other officers to come in to talk to them about promoting to lieutenant, uh, setting up uh, how to study, what to study, things of this nature. And this good-looking young black officer came over to me, and he said, and uh, 
So I stick my hand out. I want to introduce myself to him. And uh, he says, I know who you are. <laughs> and I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, you taught me dare when I was at Wiley Post. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? You know, because I feel really old. And, <laughs> but this young man said, yes. He said, you're one of the reasons I wanted to become an Oklahoma City police officer. Wow. And he said, I'm here now. And this young man now is interesting. He's got 17 years on, on with the department right now. His name is Rob Allen. And this guy is an awesome police officer. I mean, he, he has several life-saving awards, several medals of valor. Um, but he even goes a little further than that. When I was uh, at a awards banquet uh, several years before I left Oklahoma City, uh, Rob came over to me and he said, uh, I was a captain. He said, Captain, he said, my parents have come to the awards banquet, but I don't have anywhere at my table for them to sit. You have a couple of seats here. Do you mind if they sit with you? And I said, absolutely, they can yeah. sit with me. And so I go around to introduce myself to them. And, you know, the mom and dad said, we know who you are. Yeah. You know, we know who you are. That we want to thank you. Our son, he couldn't stop talking about you. You know, <laughs> he said, and I truly believe that based on the influence you had on him, it kept him in the straight and narrow he wanted to be a police officer, mm -hmm. and as you can see, he's here. He's, he's yeah. one now. So, you know, it's, it's it was just an epiphany to me to yeah. be able to have that type of thing said to me, and that I don't know that everybody gets to know that they have made a difference, right? And and changed the direction of someone's life, or maybe enhanced it, whatever the case might be. But you know, that it fills my heart to know those types of things. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm having coffee. So if you think about it, who would be three people you would want to have coffee with and why? <laughs> three people I wouldn't have coffee with. Well, I said before, Martin Luther King, I'd love to have coffee with him. And, and, and of course, interestingly enough, my, both my parents are deceased. Um, my mom, I lost her about six years ago, hmm. and, and she was uh, 97 at wow. the time. And... My father I lost when I was a young man. I was like 25 years old. So I would love to be able to have a conversation with them. My father, because, you know, at age 25, when I was in my younger period of life trying to be, be a police officer and find out who Nate Tarver was, you know, you don't think about the fact, at least even in this job, that people aren't going to be there always. And so there's a multitude of questions that I would have liked to have asked him about, you know, what his life and how he got to where he was and to be the man that he was. And he, he was a great dad. Um, you know, he, he provided for us. and We were poor, extremely poor. Um, the situation, and, and he and my mom, they, they weren't together. So it was like I was basically raised by a single mom, but, but I did see my dad, you know. And one of my brothers, I always laugh when I think about it, when we talk about being poor. Um, my brother said, no, Nate, he said, we weren't poor. We were po. He said, we po because we couldn't afford the last O and R, you know. And I said, okay, that's that kind of, you know, kind of <laughs> lends itself to the lack of funds and money and everything yeah. that we had. We were on, uh, on welfare. We were uh, getting government assistance, sure. government food, you know, and... Um, so, but you know, at that young age, you just don't, you don't know, yeah. you don't, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so with that being said, I go back to my mom, even though she, she died just a few years ago, there's still a lot of questions. There's a lot of things that I would, uh, 
like to talk to her about and find out, you know, how 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 we made it, you know, mm-hmm. how she was able to manage. Uh, and I'm one of ten kids. Wow. Yeah, one of ten kids. I'm like uh, number eight. Wow. So, um, how 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 do you do that? You know, because yeah. I don't know if we can do that as well right now mm. with the meager funds that we had. So, yeah. so those are the people I would like to have coffee with. That's awesome. So here's a question from one of our fans: Is well, who's your favorite college football team? <laughs> my favorite college football team, I think I would get in trouble if I didn't say the University of Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> but that is true. I did attend the University of Oklahoma and have made full circle to come back to work for the university. So, And, uh, you know, I have great respect for Coach Venables. Uh, you know, I'm in a position right now where I actually – uh, accompany the president during the, the home games, and he actually usually goes into the locker room after the games, and I get to hear Coach Venables make his speeches and his talks. And, you know, what I really like about about Coach Venables, and we we actually just call him Brent, but what I, what I like about Brent is the fact that, you know, football is not the focus of what he tries to teach those young men. He wants those young men to be good model citizens, mm. you know, and then he, he figures the rest of that will come with it. But the, if the big thing is you have to put your focus into being a good person. Yeah. A good, a good man. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite food. Ooh, you know, it's a toss up between, uh, Asian food and, and uh, barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> And, 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 and Korean yeah, barbecue. So I was a mesh with Korean barbecue. Yeah, about that. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, favorite music? Oh, gosh. Can I tell you a story about music? Please. Okay. I, I, I like pretty much all music, all genres of music. Um, you know, the gangster rap, I'm not so much into. Okay. I, I like some rap. But here's here's the story about it, okay? So I you know, I worked at the Moore Police Department and yeah. before that, you know, it was pretty much, you know, uh rhythm and blues and the whole bit. Um so I go to work at uh at Moore and become friends with a, a man by the name of Randy Yarbrough, who worked at the police department there. And so Randy and I ended up being roommates, you know, through life's interest interesting turns of a fence and we would hang out together. And so there used to be uh, a bar in Oklahoma city. I can't remember the name of it, but it, it was frequented by police officers, but it was country and Western. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I got an appreciation of country music from hanging out, you know, with Randy, you know, a few Alabama songs, mm-hmm. and, you know, obviously later on, I got to be partnered with a guy named, um, uh, Kendall Satterwhite, he and I were the last two-man patrol unit in Oklahoma City, yeah. sanctioned patrol uh, uh, pairing. And so when we were in the car together, you know, whoever drove the car, the other person got to drive the radio. So when I was driving, we listened to country. Yeah. You know, gotcha. and of course, you know, when, when he was driving, then, you know, I find something else to listen to. But I, 
got an appreciation for Garth Brooks, and yeah. Brooks and Dunn, and stuff like that. So, but I like um, blues and jazz, and so I, I I like a little bit of everything. I'm the opera. I'm still kind of trying to figure that stuff out. Yeah, but you know the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm there. The the opera is beautiful. Yeah, right. They they when they sing, it's it's beautiful. Uh, I'm a big country fan myself. So mm-hmm. That's my favorite genre of music. So. What's your, you, you say you don't listen to gangster rap, but is there an artist you like? Ooh. You or know, I, I like some the old school yeah, okay. uh, stuff, you know, obviously Michael Jackson. Temptations. I saw a Temptations production that was recently here at the uh, Civic Center. And, oh, that was great. So, But is Temptations gangster rap? No, the Temptations are not. The right. Temptations, so no Temptations not gangster rap. I didn't think so, but <laughs> if you listen to gangster rap, was there a certain group or a certain like oh. Tupac or Biggie? Yeah, yeah Tupac or yeah. Biggie, you okay. know. Yeah, yeah, Tupac <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Biggie, you okay. know, a little love. Uh, let's see, uh, uh, P Diddy, you know, so, you know. <laughs> What's your favorite country song? Uh, country song. It would probably there's a. It's, it's, uh, don't ask me why, but Alabama. There's an old flame. Okay. You know, there's an old flame. Yeah. You know, I think that's the name of it anyway. And I like uh, Garth Brooks' The Dance. Yeah. 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 That's a, a good, good song. Like, anything Garth Brooks, to be honest with you. I like I like Garth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Have you ever met him? No, actually, I haven't. I haven't. Hmm. How about Toby Keith? Yeah, Toby, I haven't actually met him, but, you know, he's he's a big OU fan, and he's yeah. down on the field all yeah. the time. That's why I was surprised like I haven't met him. Yeah. Well, usually he and uh, Bob Stoops are there. Now, Bob, Coach Stoops, I've met. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, Bob, Coach Stoops always comes over to shake my hand. You know, when he's down there, he's 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 a great guy. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. but yeah, Toby, and then you know, of course, Toby, he's he's been dealing with the the cancer and the whole bit. And mm-hmm. he's, he's he's doing well right now, from what I understand. So I saw, I probably will see him this weekend yeah. at the game. Yeah. Okay. You're listening to Christian rap or Christian rock? I like Christian music. <laughs> I do like Christian music, yeah, but I don't know if I've listened. I've listened to some Christian rap. Who is it? Uh, what's the name of the group? Uh, Toby Mac. Um, I'm trying to think. Who it There's. I can't think of some of the other artists right now, but yeah, yeah I, I do listen to Christian music. Yeah. What's the? Uh, we might have to add this answer out, but <laughs> what is the most athletic group that is in trouble at the University of Oklahoma that you get, get arrested? The most athletic group? Like a sport. So is it football, basketball, baseball, softball, gymnastics, badminton, tennis? Which which other? one did pro- it probably is? Unfortunately, it's probably going to be the football players. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably going to be the football players. We keep that in? Uh, yeah. There's a hundred of them. Yeah, there. there's probably a football player. But I will tell you this. But, 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 but I will tell you this. Under the Venables regime, that has taken a significant nosedive. That's awesome. Okay, I, I will tell you that. I think that uh, you know when the, when uh, Coach Riley was here, it was more loose, a little bit looser. Mm. Um, but you know, Coach Venables is, he holds people accountable. He really does. That's great. Yeah, and, and that's that's why I admire him. Yeah, yeah. The the OU fans lost their minds when Coach Riley left. Were yeah. you one of them, or were you no. just like yeah, whatever? No, because you know, for me. You know, it's business. You know, yeah. we understand that. You know, I, 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 I'm not that passionate of a fan. I'm a fan, but I'm not 
a, a super passionate fanatic. Um, you know, it, when you start thinking about it, unfortunately, I think college football has gotten to be totally a business now with the mm. uh, NIL and the whole bit. It's changed the, the, the face of, of sports. Yeah, And sure. uh, I, I, I think it's my personal opinion. I think it's, it's, it's for, not for the best, but it is what it is, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. That's true. How does Chief Tarver want to be remembered? I would like to be remembered as a guy who cared about people, no matter who they were, where they came from, and what their situation was. Someone who was accepting of people for who and what they are. Someone who tried to understand and and get to know people. And someone who appreciates life. You know, I've come from being that whole kid (laughs) to having way more than truly probably deserve. Um, I have, I look at each day as a blessing when I wake up. I try not to focus on the things that I know that I have no control over, Mm. but I want to do what I can to enhance the life of other people that are around me and support them and feed them to build them up. Yeah. Uh, so I want to be that guy that people said, you know, when they heard my name, they didn't turn around and walk away, but they, if I walked into the room, they were happy to see me as opposed to, you know, saying, uh, we need to go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want to be remembered. I love it. I love it. In the spring, I'm tossing this idea around. I'd like to get your opinion. Would you be interested if I held a roundtable with you, Chief Younger, Chief Gibson, and a lieutenant from the Highway Patrol at a table and talk about a mastermind of leadership, law enforcement, community? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, because I, I would learn from those guys. I'm going to set that up, and I think it would be awesome to hear different perspectives and ideas of leadership and how to involve the community, how to keep the community safe. And yeah, I think that'd, that'd be amazing. I think that would be great. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming back on for a supplemental. This has been awesome to me. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I absolutely appreciate your uh, service to the community and the state. Thank you so much, sir. Yes, thank sir. You. Thank you All very right. much. All right. All right. I'm going to stand. I won't be seated. Hold my head up high and stay undefeated To find any moments on this part Cause I'm American by the grace of my good God I'm American by the grace of my good God